Man, you're getting killed out there. <sighs> Tell me about it. I feel like Rocky after 15 rounds with Apollo Creed. Speaking of Rocky, did you know that Sylvester Stallone wrote the first draft of the movie in only three days? Did you know that Sylvester Stallone permanently flattened out his knuckles from punching the side of beef? What about Burgess Meredith? He had lived his line in the audition, which landed him the role of Mickey. Or that a destitute Sylvester Stallone turned down $350,000 because the studio didn't want him starring in it? Well, you can find this out and much, much more by listening to Rocky Minute, the fan podcast that covers the Rocky movies one minute at a time. You can find us on DuelingGenre.com. Now get back out there and knock this bum out. Dueling Genre. everyone and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character in a great story i'm todd mack and i'm joe dorowski and this week we are doing a shorter episode about santa from the classic christmas poem a visit from saint nicholas more popularly known as twas the night before christmas yes welcome back todd two weeks in a row well thank you i'm happy to be stay here. for a while we could break your old streak. <laughs> My old streak of 200 in a row? Yes. That one. <laughs> yeah, I have, to stay. I have to stay for a long while. No, this is not a long-term thing. This is just a, just a Christmas holiday thing. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm happy to be here for the time that I, that, I, that I can be here. Well, we're definitely glad to have you. Uh, listeners, just a little bit more info. Uh, a Visit from St. Nicholas was first published in 1831 and was probably written by Clement Clark Moore. More on that probably. Uh, when we get to the discussion later. I love a good authorial debate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it uh, tells the story of Santa Claus visiting on Christmas Eve, which was actually a break from tradition. Before that, he always visited on Christmas Day. And this kind of reset some of our Christmas expectations in this poem. And uh, I think because so much of our discussion about this Home, which is a shorter thing, is going to be about cultural impact and the authorship controversy. I think we let's just table all the trivia and we'll do that after the summary, which is just going to be us reading the, th- the thing because it is so short and so public domain. I think we'll just read the whole poem. All right. All right. Uh, but before we do that, listeners, we want to thank each and every one of you for listening and especially thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give updates on our fantasy box office, which my lead has oh my returned, gosh. but December's looking good for you, Todd. So I don't feel like I'm safe. I know, but you have a $500 million lead right now. I know, but at the time of this recording, you still have Spider-Verse, which is getting fantastic reviews, Aquaman, which is getting good buzz early on, Bumblebee, which is still getting good buzz. You get your second bite at the apple with Deadpool 2 coming back into theaters. (laughs) So you've got got quite a lot still coming. I know. And you get Mary Poppins, which which is probably what's going to take you back over the top. Uh, yeah, I'll catch yeah. you, and then Mary Poppins will come out, and you'll uh, you'll retake the lead at the very end. We'll be I don't know. My, Jedi maybe we'll have a, a Nutcracker situation where Disney film will just kind of come and go, and everyone will forget it existed. I doubt it. 
All right. Well, uh, because, again, this was public domain, let's just go ahead and read the poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas. And uh, I think I'll, I'll be tackling that. So Todd, get ready to carry the discussion uh, for a moment. <laughs> well, do you want to do the first half and I'll do the second half? We can do that. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's go ahead and split. It was the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window, I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below, when what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick, more rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name, now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donder and Blitzen. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop, the coursers they flew, with a sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas too. And then in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney, St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled. His dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk and laying a finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Oh, thank you, Todd, for closing that out. That's Enjoyed so good. your reading. So, you've got some trivia for us. Yeah, a few odds and ends uh, that I came across, uh, some of which maybe stood out to listeners as they listened to it, because there are a few variations within this poem that sometimes get changed and sometimes not. Um, among these are the names of the reindeer. This is actually the source of the names of the reindeer in Santa mythology. Um, never before had there been eight reindeer and never before had they had any names and any stories about Santa that anyone has been able to find. Hmm. Uh, but within there, like I know at some point I've asked people, is it Donner or Donder? Cause I know I hear both. And that is because of a change in this, but actually neither <laughs> of those are the original name that was in the poem. Originally, the names were Dunder and Blixum. <laughs> Dunder and Mifflin. No, Blixum. B-L-I-X-E-M. Not, not Dunder Mifflin, a paper company in, in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, but Dunder and Blixum, which were Dutch for thunder and lightning. Then Interesting. At a certain point, an editor, uh, and it seems like this would happen pretty soon 
in the poem's life. They said, well, let's change that to German. And I'm not sure why, but they wanted to change it to German. But they put uh, Donder and Blitzen, but the word should be Donner, not Donder. <laughs> and I've so always heard people, it Donner. Then some people changed it from Donder to Donner because that would be Thunder in German. And and so all the names Dunder, Donder, and Donner have existed in the poem for that particular deer. And Blixum and Blitzen have both existed. I've never heard Donder. I've always heard Donner. I think I hear it sometimes in uh, like radio versions of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Sometimes I hear them say oh, Donder. Okay. <laughs> Do you often listen to radio versions of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Well, like if I'm driving around with kids, got it on the, the, the Christmas radio station. Okay. All right. All right. Interesting. Uh, we always sing this. Um, so my grandma every year has a... Uh, a sing-along at her house and it is epic um we have a quite a musical family and um we squeeze like dozens of people into my grandma's house and um and we sing and it's glorious <laughs> it's really amazing uh but this is always the very last one that we do uh second to last one that we do we do the 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 hallelujah chorus from the messiah uh to finish it off but this is the second to last one that we do and um it's just it's just awesome so the, um, the song you know the song you're familiar with the song version of this yeah i am not actually i came across the fact that it exists but i don't think i've ever heard a song version really? i think it was pretty early on it, it was put to music it said it was the night before christmas and all through the house oh, that's so good that is so i've never heard of it either yeah, but it's hard for me to it's hard for me to read it towards the end with a straight face because we always um, we always used to sing uh, sticking a finger inside of his nose instead of a side <laughs> of his nose. <laughs> well, and uh, and then uh, turn uh, with a jerk. We used to say then turn like a jerk, and then we would all laugh. So, <laughs> well, some other word changes that have existed though in this instance to make it less scandalous there's a vulgarized <laughs> version where instead of the breast of the new fallen snow it says the crest of the new fallen snow because oh. heaven forbid the word breast appear <laughs> wow so a lot of versions that you can find in print say crest instead of breast and also they've changed the word air into as uh, at the end what says air he rode out of sight they'll say as because they think people will be confused by the word air <laughs> <laughs> and uh also to americanize it even though it was written in america uh originally it said happy christmas and that often means merry christmas to merry christmas yeah that the song says merry christmas to all and the song is missing a couple of lines uh the um the the the, the lines about the uh the breast of the new fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below is not in the uh is not in the song um and also uh, as dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle mounts to the sky, that's not in the song either. Everything else I think is and oh, it okay. says, Merry, Merry Christmas to all. And it says turned like a jerk and stuck a finger inside of his nose. <laughs> At least in our version. Is that in the original or is that the translation from Dutch to German? <laughs> that's uh that's at the Newbert, at the Newbert family uh, sing along. That's what every, everybody <laughs> sings like uh, loud. Um, <laughs> 
So I guess that kind of covers a question that we usually address, but we skipped just to read the poem, but how we first came to this. So is your first exposure that you can remember that sing-along with your family? Oh yeah, absolutely. And we, and every year, like every year of my life, we sing, we've sung the song. Uh, my mom also had a really nice, um, not an Afghan, but like a, like a throw, you know, a blanket that goes over the top of the couch. Um, mm-hmm. and it was, it was, uh, stitched in some way and it, and it had the, the words, um, like around the border and she would get it out at Christmas time, put it on the couch. And so that was a nice, like a nice Christmas touch. Okay. Uh, my first memory of this is actually, oh, well, okay. As many families in the 1980s, I'm sure had, we had a VHS, of recorded off of television Christmas specials, uh, you know, with all the great 1980s commercials that you come to feel are part of Christmas, even though they're, you know, six, seven years old at a certain point or older. But in there, we had a lot of Christmas shows that like, I remember Grinch and Rudolph and like Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, which we did an episode about. But there was also a cartoon called The Night Before Christmas that featured the mice because not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And there was a family, and I can't remember the plot at all. I just remember the this 19... Uh, I looked it up now. It's 1968. Animated version of Santa Claus terrified me as a child. I just thought he looked <laughs> creepy and wrong. <laughs> um, and uh, that was my, my memory of the night before Christmas for a long time was this cartoon uh, adaptation uh, that added a whole bunch of plot and story, because there's not a whole lot of plot and story in the poem. <laughs> obviously uh to it kind Wait, of like some of our christmas summaries and, and 1974 so I, i'm not sure on uh on the exact year oh i'm seeing 1974 in a couple more places as i look into this so let's go with 1974 not 1968 if any of you are are looking for this and i will put a picture of the creepy santa in with the the post on this one um but that's uh, i i think i kind of was always a bit turned off on it because of that you know, half hour special within our block of VHS Christmas specials sure. that we recorded. Um, that kind of creeped me out a bit, but I've gotten past it. I like the poem. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> so, so this, so what do we know from this poem sort of set the pattern for modern Christmas as we know it? Okay. So the reindeer is one of the big ones. Okay. Um, uh, there was so this was published in 1823 in looking up stuff about this and that particular question it said in 1821 there was a children's book that had Santa's sleigh being pulled by one reindeer and that's the first known reference in print to Santa having a reindeer pull a sleigh mm-hmm. um, or Saint Nicholas uh, you know that they were, I don't think it was referred to as Santa Claus um, and then he adds the eight reindeer um, the physical description uh, definitely you see a shift here um, from uh, most art depicting a St. Nicholas type figure and most cultures had him as very thin because he's going down chimneys. <laughs> and mm-hmm. this one says he's, you know, got a bowl full of jelly and, you know, he shakes. And, and so then we get a plumper Santa Claus is part of the mythology um, that gets added from this. And then also him coming Christmas Eve night and leaving gifts under the tree. That seems to have been a new thing that's added. From, or, or leaving hmm. gifts uh, at night. That's something that's added. Um, and it made Christmas Eve into um, a more significant event than it had been 
um, like culturally Christmas Eve was nothing. <laughs> it was, and now, uh, you know, Christmas Eve is uh, a very large part of the Christmas celebration. And that seems to be credited largely to this poem. Um, what's the movie that's about this poem? Another one that's called, there's one on Amazon prime, the man who invented Christmas. That is actually this about Dickens and a Christmas Carol, which that, oh, okay. is, what 1840, what, when was Christmas Carol? It's a little, little later, um, but a, a lot of our Christmas traditions do certainly come from that as well. That's okay. 1843. Okay, got it. Have you seen that film? I have not. I want to watch it. I've mentioned it to my wife that we need to watch it this Christmas okay. season, but we haven't watched it yet. It's on Amazon Prime. Oh, I will watch it in the uh, next couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, this is going to get dropped to our listeners on Christmas Eve. I will probably have watched it by the Tis time. Tis the season. <laughs> they, uh, they are listening to this. Um, but yeah, the, like that twofold push in uh within a couple decades of a visit from saint nicholas and christmas carol really helped to restructure the way we thought about christmas um from what i've looked at it says like really the winter holiday that was celebrated most significantly before this was um new year's um Uh christmas was uh debated between protestants and catholics as to how significant it was how how legit it was to have christmas at this time of year some protestants even think it was just a catholic thing to be doing so it wasn't really embraced by everyone (laughs) and it certainly wasn't like a cultural norm that the world is going to revolve around christmas time in december yeah i think it's so interesting how um it's similar to uh day of the dead in mexico um in that the roots of this are ancient you know, the this uh, idea of having a, a winter celebration uh, surrounding the solstice and and even the way that um, that it gets infused with uh, with more modern religions like um, Christianity. Um, but like Day of the Dead, as we, as we know it, it started like in the early 1900s. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a very, very recent thing to be celebrated as it is. And yet when you see it, uh, it feels so old. And I think it feels old because, because it ties into those um, like a a mythic structure and, and, and beliefs that go far beyond any, any particular symbol. I think Christmas is the same way. And I I think it's um, like there. Okay. So there's the religious side of Christmas and there's like this cultural side, but then adding into that mix. um, I remember in a uh, religion in America class that I took in grad school um, reading, we were doing this reading on um, Jewish faith traditions and it had the section about how Hanukkah wasn't one of the major Jewish holidays Mm. until in America, they kind of said, well, this is when everyone else is setting aside time for holidays this is when Hanukkah is on our calendar. It's not one of the major ones, but it became more culturally significant within Jewish tradition in America because it fit in when everyone else was taking time off for holidays, kind of. And they said, well, we have a holiday that kind of overlaps. Let's let's emphasize this one a bit more here. Uh, it's kind of a natural development, not like, uh, oh, we're just going to take advantage of it. It just kind of naturally fit in that Hanukkah got elevated as part of everything else. Whereas uh, traditionally in uh, Jewish culture, there were other holidays during the calendar year that would have had greater emphasis. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's interesting how um, it can be something that in the in its current trappings is so modern, and yet I would argue is really, really, really old. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I mean, just aside, we've talked before about like this, these natural rhythms and cycles uh, in time and um, – 
like in the seasons. It just makes so much sense to me to have a, a holiday at the deepest, darkest time of winter um, that's surrounding, you know, hope. And uh, when, you know, days start getting lighter again. And I think there's well, even, there um, are deep, like, psychological and, um, like, archetypal reasons for having this yeah. here. Um, it's not like, oh, we just need an excuse to spend a bunch of money. And so mm-hmm. we found well, it. Well, I think it's interesting that, it is that, as too. you said, this is the darkest time of the year. The days are the shortest. And both um, the holiday that has been emphasized, uh, you know, in, in two different faith traditions, uh, Hanukkah and, and Christmas, are very heavily light-oriented and, bright, right. you know, introducing brightness yeah. um, in at for in the northern hemisphere. And again, like the, all of this gets tied into like, well, what hemisphere are you in? What time of year are we talking about? Sure. Really? But but for us, it's about introducing light in at literally the darkest time of the year. Right. Um, yeah, I think, absolutely. Like, there's there's reasons for that, be it the, uh, you know, the the Christian religion, the Jewish religion, the more uh, just just cultural norms uh, of Christmas. I think there's a lot of reason that we feel the need to celebrate in the ways that we celebrate at this time of year. Yeah, and then somebody comes along and is able to tap into that that pre-existing like archetypal urge <laughs> and gives it a form in a poem like this and is able to shape celebration for, you know, now close to 200 years. And and we think, man, this is this must be the way that it's always been. And it totally yeah. hasn't always been like this. <laughs> there has always been something like this, but not exactly like this. Was really yeah, it, it is um, kind of become a touchstone. And I, when I was looking up stuff on this, I saw some say that th- these are actually the best or most read American verses of poetry ever. Our, hmm. our, um, twas the night before Christmas. Uh, not saying it's the best American poetry that's ever been produced, but it, it, <laughs> it they believe it's the most read the world over. Interesting. Um, and, and talking about authorship, I mean, you mentioned someone comes along. Let's just dive into the controversy about who really wrote uh, A Visit from St. Nicholas. So I, I, the general accepted version and the official version is Clement, Clement Clark Moore. Um, but it was first published anonymously in 1823. Um, authorship wasn't officially assigned until 1837 when Moore included it in a collection of his poetry. Now, Moore was a professor. And he was trying, he, he wanted to be associated with his literary poetry. He was a poet in other forms, but he thought this one was just a little too pop and, and <laughs> juju, a little too below him <laughs> um, to, to really want his name on it. Uh, but eventually when he put together a collection of his other poetry, his family asked him to include this one. And so he did. And that's when it was officially recognized that he was the author, um, though the editor of the newspaper was originally published and several other people in immediately after kind of have there's enough supporting evidence that seems to say they all believed it was by, by Moore um, who wrote it. Um, uh, however, uh, the controversy has come actually after Moore and this other person's lives were over. Uh, there's this other guy named Henry Livingston Jr. Who some people claim that he wrote it and uh, he never seemed to have made the claim in his lifetime. This seems to be part of his family folklore. And um, it like, I think it was two years ago, someone did a uh, like a computer analysis of the writing of Moore and the writing of Livingston. And they said, this lines up with Livingston more it's Livingston, you know uh, more so. So it should, we, we should be saying Livingston wrote this, not, not more. Um, 
However, I'm not convinced. <laughs> like all the all the contemporary <laughs> evidence definitely points towards more. Um, and if you're saying, well, he didn't write like this in his other poetry, he knew that. That's why he didn't want it included in his right. in his highbrow collection. Um, so I'm not. It's not like saying, well, this doesn't sound like all his other stuff is a really convincing argument when he was saying that during his lifetime. But his family right. was insisting you need to take credit for this. It's really popular, Dad. Yeah, interesting. Um, so yeah, this this other person, Henry Livingston Jr., is. Um, one that some people want to try and assign credit for, but uh, the, the preponderance of opinion seems to be that it was more who wrote it. Okay. Um, but I'm always there for your author controversies and conspiracy theories. Yes. Uh, even though I generally will just say, no, nah, it's probably who we think it was like Shakespeare probably wrote the Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. But I am intrigued with all the controversies or, or theories behind that one. Cool. Um, just the other bit of trivia I want to share. There are four known handwritten copies by Moore that exist. Three of them are in museums. One was sold at auction in 2006. Do you want to guess how much that went for? $500,000. Uh, it, it was in the hundred thousands, but you were, you were a little <laughs> high. It was 280,000. It's what it 280,000. Okay. Well, yeah. To a private individual in the entertainment industry is all that anyone knows. <laughs> it's better than a stick in the eye. <laughs> I'd Do you take, have yeah, any I'd take two hundred eighty thousand dollars. Who's a yeah, really Christmas person? I have that lying person? around. I would sell it. That is what I would do. You would sell it. Yeah. Who's uh? Who's who's really Christmassy in the entertainment industry? I bet it's a Hallmark exec. <laughs> two hundred eighty thousand is like, it's not nothing, but it's also not an impossible amount of money. Yeah, it's it's not yeah. unfeasible that. Somebody can have that money. So oh, yeah, yeah. Like, executive like for, has that much for sure. For the world, yeah, they sneeze and that much comes out. That is so much money for the people who are in the legit like one percent upper class. It's like whatever. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Not me. Not yet. Do you yeah. know what uh the go ahead the poetic meter of uh of twelve the night before Christmas is? If this ever comes up in trivia. You can share that it's anapestic tetrameter. But <laughs> I was going to say, it's definitely tetrameter. It's not strict anapestic te- tetrameter. He drops some of the, the footing uh, certain times. Well, that's so. part of poetry. Yeah. I'm not nearly as good at counting uh, meter in English as I am in Spanish. I think he, he drops some of the unstressed parts and, and some of the lines I read. I mean, not like I read it and said, oh, he's dropping the unstressed <laughs> syllable it was i read someone analyzing it saying oh he drops them here and here (laughs) well i mean i took i took a poetry class in college so i think i know a bit about poetry (laughs) (laughs) but do you think this um, was written by Moore or (laughs) (laughs) um one of the only things that like well one of the biggest things when i was like actually learning about poetry for the first time in my life it was like Oh, it's not about keeping the meter. It's about when you choose to break. Mm-hmm. And and that's where his significance is drawn. Uh, Whereas uh, in high school, anytime they talked about meter, which was pretty much only when we were studying Shakespeare, it was always about, and you stick to the rhythm and they don't tell us ever to like, be okay with not sticking to the rhythm. So you're trying to do this iambic pentameter. It's like, but it, it doesn't fit. There's too many syllables here. What do I do teacher? The like, iambic pentameter stick to the rhythm. <laughs> Which is not a good way to teach poetry. 
So I, I guess going back to the story that we have here, is there anything that particularly stands out to you? I mean, this is a simple, I don't remember how many lines. I mean, we read it in less than five minutes. Uh, so this is definitely the shortest topic we've ever tried to cover on this podcast. But is there anything <laughs> that stands out besides just kind of the cultural significance of this piece? Um, I don't know. Not particularly. I mean, <laughs> it's there. there is there is this, you know, tiny arc, right? Yeah. So everything's asleep. Santa comes. This thing happens, and then Santa goes goes off into the night. Um, and we get this this really nice description of him. Um, but I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I haven't really like been racking my brain about about this, but at the same time, yeah. um, I don't know how much there is to to pull from it i'm certainly oh no i mean i i completely off moved off all the trivia because i knew most of our discussion was going to be just about the kind of cultural cachet that has uh you know that this particular poem has and and how much it um influenced our tradition more so than the content itself um like you said the the narrative is slight (laughs) yeah i mean it's it really is i i think more about uh descriptions and a feeling Mm-hmm. Um, even even like this feeling of anticipation, everything's still. Uh, the house is all quiet, um, and then all this energy that comes with Santa, um, and then leaving and wishing everyone, uh, you know, Merry Christmas to all, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Um, it it feels like Christmas, <laughs> and it's it's interesting to think about. You know, is this uh, it seems like this is not what Christmas felt like before this, but as soon as it came out, people thought, yeah, that's Christmas, you know? <laughs> and now it, it, so much of what we do stems from this really simple description of, you know, one event, one night. It's it's kind of a remarkable, you know, piece of literature in that it, it's so small and seemingly insignificant, written initially anonymously. Uh, and yet it has had just such a huge impact. And and the feeling, when we talk about Christmas, we talk about the feeling of Christmas, right? The spirit of Christmas, what it feels like on Christmas night. And we all remember being little kids and, uh, you know, trying to stay awake and listening for, for the little uh, hoof, uh, hooves on top of the roof and, and siblings thinking maybe you wall. heard something. Yeah. And, um, and to think that so much of that stems from these you know, versus it's, uh, it's kind of a remarkable thing, I think. No, and um, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, so so recently Stanley passed away and I was asked to go on to um, a radio show to talk about his, his significance and talk about it. We, I mean, this is part of the narrative of Stanley is that he, wasn't in love with his writing of comic books. <laughs> that wasn't what he wanted to be known for. He mm. used a pen name. His real name wasn't Stan Lee. His name was Stanley Lieber. And he was saving his name, Stanley Lieber, when he wrote, he wanted to write the great American novel was kind of his goal. You know, he wanted to be known as like this literature author, not this popular author. And it's interesting to look back at more. I cannot tell you a single poem he wrote other than this. Right. Yeah. But he kind of wanted to move away from this to be known for his professorial and literary work. Um, and, it, you know, his more high highbrow uh, poetry. But this is one of the most culture-altering pieces of literature that's been written in the last two centuries, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, we, we've, we've 
one twelfth of our year has, uh, you know, in terms of our cultural understanding of how the year cycles has been altered by this poem. More, more than yeah, one-twelfth. well, creeping, creepingly more every year, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> I think, I mean, uh, we said, you know, this is maybe not the best poetry ever written, but I don't think it's the worst either. Oh, no, no. It, it, it has a it fun rhythm. interesting things with, yeah, the rhythm is fun. Um, I like the, his use of verbs. Um, initially, like, he's starting with um, uh, not a creature was stirring and the stockings were hung and then, um, like, children are nestled. And then, but later on, you get, like, I sprang from the bed, uh, flew like Branson a flash. Mm-hmm. Prancing and pawing, lively and quick, um, which I know are not verbs, but, <laughs> but <there's just> <laughs> dash away, dash away, right? But there's so much energy that comes into this poem. Um, and, you know, it's not like, oh, my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever written. But it's it's also not nothing. Like, it's a it's a, a competent poem, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's it's fun to read, which uh, I think is not insignificant in terms of its cultural longevity. Um, right. That uh, you... You can read it in one sitting <laughs> very easily for a family and say, this is going to be part of our Christmas tradition and you knock it out in, you know, five minutes yeah. and uh, it sets the mood and, and uh, you know, no, no one's like, it's short enough. The kids aren't rolling down like, Oh, when is this done? Mm-hmm. I want to go do something else. Um, but it does, like you said, it has kind of the, a very simple, small arc, but it's there and it's not just there and what's being described is happening, but how it's being described. Right. You know, the word choices are going to alter in the way that you described. Uh, and it, it makes it a very natural for a reader to give it a little bit different energy at the different parts. Like, I think it's hard to read this monotone. Yeah. Um, and and I, I mean, even just thinking about this little arc. So it starts super still. And then we get all this energy and it builds, 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 builds. And then he sprang to his sleigh, gives a whistle to his team. And then they and then they flew like a, they, they fly away like the down of a thistle. And then at the very end, you see as he's just driving out of say, sight and like uh, things become still again. But we hear, you know, Santa's voice like going off into the distance. Merry, Merry Christmas to all and to all. Good night. So it has this like little tiny denouement of like, you know, two long, two verses, at the very, very end. Uh, but the rest of it is build, 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 build. I don't know. I like structurally. It's uh, I like the way that it's built. Yeah, I, um, I think I saw that the kind of tetrameter that he uses is also what you'll find in limericks, which are noted for just like being very easy to to say. <laughs> like, like there's a, a natural rhythm that comes uh, in speaking through this. Mm. Um, so like you said, it's it's not like, oh, this is going to change the world of poetry forever. But it did change like our <laughs> culture. <laughs> it did change really pop culture <laughs> pretty significantly. Yeah. Even if, if the world of highbrow poetry just kept chugging along. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, any final thoughts on this? Nope. Glad we got to talk about it. That's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us on this Christmas Eve episode. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. 
You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss, or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or us on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod and at Jadorowski, and our producer Andrew is at Disminute, and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners, and would love for you to say hello anytime. If you'd like to support our show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Hold on. Okay, oh, go for it. I'm falling out of my chair. Hold on. Almost had a disaster. My phone buzzed. It was plugged in. When I tried to turn it to silent, it fell out of my hands. I'd reached to grab it and okay. <clears throat> Cut all that, Andrew. I don't want any of that ever.